there's no such thing as a failure. There's just a failure to progress. That staying still and not growing and not striving and not learning, that's the true failure. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women get to the root cause of their period problems and hormonal imbalances. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my new company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Hitha Palapu, to our show today. Hitha is a serial entrepreneur, author, investor, and activist. She's also the CEO of Roshan Pharmaceuticals and an investor in startups primarily founded by women, many who have been on this podcast, including luxury apparel maker M.M. LaFleur and my favorite olive oil brand, Brightland. Hitha also has a passion for news and politics, which led her to launch Five Smart Reads, a Webby honored social series that shares five must-read articles every day to keep her community informed without being overwhelmed. She also has her second book coming out called We're Speaking, The Life Lessons of Kamala Harris, How to Use Your Voice, Be Assertive, and Own Your Story, which is set to be published very soon on October 19th. We have a very wide-ranging conversation today talking about all things from her childhood, growing up with immigrant parents, how she fell into the world of entrepreneurship after her corporate career, and why it's important to fail along with many lessons she learned herself when launching her first business. We also have very in-depth conversations around motherhood, self-care, and the modern work culture we all live in today. Welcome to the show, Hitha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes. Well, there is so much to dig into today. So I'm super pumped for this interview. And I actually want to start with one higher level question. You know, you call yourself a multi-hyphenate, right? You're an entrepreneur, investor, author, podcaster. I mean, mother, the list goes on and on. I'd love to get your perspective on what you think are maybe one, two or three top fears that people might have that prevent them from really getting started. I think the underlying is the fear of rejection. Mm. I don't think we think so clearly or probe it when we think about the worst case scenario of like, well, in the context of my life, how bad is this really if it doesn't work out? And that's something for me, both in what I have explored and researched in the book, but also in just sort of my evolution as a career, I grew up with a mom who never said, oh, you can't do that. She said, well, you better have a plan. And so I was never told no, but I was always told figure it out. And in figuring it out and creating a plan, I would find out, is this actually what I want to do? And if it is, I did it. And if it was something that I was like, oh, it's nice to have, but I'm not feeling so drawn to it anymore. No harm, no foul. And if it's something I put everything in and it didn't work out, yes, that sucked. But I learned something from it. And ultimately, I grew from it in some significant way that it's made me better. And it's just another part of the multitudes that is me. 
Yeah. I love that. And there's so many experiences in your life, you know, quote unquote failures that we'll tease out today. And it just shows it's all come full circle and what you're up to today. So there's always a silver lining around it, but I love that 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 was beautiful. So talking about your mother and your parents, you know, I'd love to start (laughs) with your upbringing. You're a single daughter of immigrants. Your parents moved here to the U S to create a better life. Looking back on your childhood, how do you think, and I'm sure there's so much here to unpack, but how do you think your parents have really influenced the woman you are today? They are the reason I am the woman I am today. And to even predate my birth, when they came here, it was a very different America. My dad lost his hearing when he was 10 years old and had to get through school in India from the rest of primary and secondary school, college, and then his master's at IIT Bombay through lip reading. Wow. And when he came to the States was when he finally got a hearing aid for the first time and was able to hear. And now here is this brilliant man whose English is certainly not at colloquial American standards. And even for a lot of immigrants, a little bit behind because for so long, he was unable to listen and therefore really learn how to say words properly with a different name. It was Brown. And All he wanted was a chance to get started in the scientific world. He had his master's in chemistry from IIT Bombay. He, first job he got was scrubbing toilets at McDonald's. Mm. And when he wasn't working a shift, he would sit at the lobby of Pfizer in Groton, Connecticut, waiting for somebody, anybody to stop and talk to him. Got a chance as a bench chemist, which at the time was a job you could get with a high school degree. And he used that as his first step for what has become an extraordinary career. My mom grew up with quite a bit of privilege in India. Her father was a professor, grew up in a beautiful home with a lot of help, a lot of family, had a chauffeur to take her to school, someone to bring her a hot prepared meal. When she came to this country after marrying my father, it was very lonely and everything was on her own, but she refused to let that stop her. The first jobs she interviewed for, she wore a sari because that was the only formal attire she had. And when she was asked, are you going to wear that to work every day? She responded, give me the job with my first paycheck. I'll buy some new clothes. And I think that sums up who I am today. I was born a daughter of incredibly tenacious, Mm. hardworking parents who got rejected over and over and over again and never let that stop them. They just said, okay, redirect. What do we do next? What do we do next? It was never oh no, this is the end of the world. It couldn't afford to be. They were sending money back home to India to help support the family and they couldn't ever take a second to wallow. And while I wish I had their emotional and strength, I definitely have to take my time. My process is a little differently. It did show me that there's no such thing as a failure. There's just a failure to progress. That staying still and not growing and not striving and not learning that's the true failure. Gosh, oh, I actually, I did some research about your background, but I did not know that about your dad with his hearing and just hearing your mom's story, but it's incredible. I mean, even my dad came here with nothing is now a serial entrepreneur. And just seeing to your point, their version of failure doesn't exist. They have to make it work. Like sometimes I wish I had, I think I'm pretty tenacious, but I wish I had more of that, but 
we're a little bit more privileged being second generation, but to just grow up and, or even hear stories like yours and other women on the podcast, it's so incredibly inspiring. And one thing I loved about your parents, even at a young age, they really had you involved with decision-making and they really treated you like an adult, which I think is really important. And I don't have kids yet, but I'd love to, you know, do that with them as well. It is that I'm part of the reason I am the way I am is my dad, and I think this is the reason I work with him. And I think he was planting the seeds, whether he realized it at six, when I'd say, daddy, what are you working on at work? He never just said, oh, a medicine. He would sit down and explain like, this is the name. This is the chemical structure. This is what it does. This is how it works. And obviously as my scientific knowledge grew, the explanations grew more detailed, but he never talked down at me or said, oh, you wouldn't understand. It was always, let me explain it to you. And my favorite thing as a kid would be to go with him to the office on a Saturday. And granted, he would be running an experiment or finishing a report. And I would be raiding the stationary cabinet and drawing on his whiteboard. Those were some of my most happy memories because the conversations in the car. And I was like, so what did you do today? And whatnot. He would answer them very calmly, very thoroughly. Same with my mom. When I said, mom, I want to do this activity. She goes, okay, let's consider it like this is your schedule. This is what we have going on. This can work, but you know, you'll have less time to play at home. I want to give you all the information. You make your choice and I will support that. And that's how they raised me with like a great deal of equity in the family and participation in the decisions. And it's something that I've tried to do with my own kids. And then as we started moving kind of frequently, because he hit the ceiling at any job he was at within a few years, and it was either stay stagnant or jump to somewhere else and continue growing. My mom and I were always up for an adventure. It was so much fun for us to pick up and move somewhere new. Some places were amazing. Some places were challenging, but we were always together. We made the decisions together and it developed a really, really tight bond between my parents and I at a very young age. It is the greatest gift I could have ever been given. Like being their daughter truly is everything to me. Oh, I have goosebumps. Yeah, I'm sure that support system is amazing. I love how they fostered your curiosity because it's still who you are today with your involvement in so many different things because it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to learn. So I want to fast forward a little bit in your journey. You know, you ended up going to University of Washington in Seattle, graduated with a chemistry and history degree. And you thought at that point, you know, you were going to go down the path of being a doctor or a lawyer, right? Grad school. That's what every immigrant family wants for their child. But can you share more about the path you ended up going down? So it's funny because that was what I intended when I started at college. But at the end of my freshman year, I didn't want to live in the dorms anymore. I wanted to move into an apartment. And so I put together a PowerPoint deck on why I should be able to move into an apartment complete with like projected budget and ROI and all of this. And my dad just looked at my mom and he's like, one, like, look at this. Yes. And then two, there's no way she's going to be a doctor or a lawyer. She's going to go into business. But what was so great about my dad. I said, Oh dad, but I never started the business curriculum. These classes take forever to get into. He goes, who said you actually need to study business to Mm. do business? Like you're developing a new way of thinking. I say you stick with this 
and we will figure out everything else afterwards. And one of the reasons I love going to University of Washington is being smack dab in the middle of a really big city, you had a lot of internship opportunities. So from sophomore year onward, I was interning frequently at a lot of different marketing and sales and business internships. Also took some time to work in a lab and did some more research projects was very involved with student government. I had a wonderful, wonderful college experience. And I'm grateful for you, Dub, for one, giving me a taste of West Coast life because Mm -hmm. being predominantly and spending most of my time from the East Coast, I did learn that I could afford to mellow out a little bit. (laughs) It chills you out over here. Yeah. Just a little bit. But two, I just got like a phenomenal education in a really beautiful city. And I'm so grateful for that time. And I'm also so grateful for taking the more unconventional path of working in business than what is traditional one. And I have to thank my father for that. Also, he and my mom told me that when I was planning on going to college, that they would pay for my education if I earned a degree that could afford the quality of life I had been raised with and said, this is an investment for us. We will happily do it. So If you're going to study history or political science, you can also study chemistry or biology or math and get a degree that can get you a job that can give you the quality of life you're used to, which I think is, you know, we're told, follow your bliss, follow your passion and you should, but you should also consider what is my end game after college? How do I want to live? What kind of job am I going to need to do that? So what kind of education do I need to get to get that job? Exactly. And I think very similar to you, I'm very fortunate. My parents supported me in college, but it was like after college, you're on your own, right? And you wanted to live in a nice place. I wanted to live in New York City. That's not cheap, but it definitely motivates you to think about the numbers and money, which I think is just important 101, even from an earlier age Mm -hmm. of how much money do I need to make? Like do a budget, like how much is my rent? How much do I need to eat in New York? So I think those practices are just even helpful to become a business person. So you ended up, I know, going down the corporate-ish route at Oracle. And what I want to talk about specifically about that experience, and I believe you started your side project there, right? Hith on the go. Was that when you were at Oracle or a little bit later? I was at Cisco. Cisco. I was at Cisco, not Oracle. Sorry. Yes, yes. yes. Other small companies. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Another tiny little yeah. uh, California-based company. No, Cisco was amazing. That's where I got my crash course in business, that sales associates program, that one year of training you're in. That's where I learned how to sell, how to communicate, how to learn a new tech stack, really learn anything at a really quick period of time. I also made some of my best friends in life at Cisco. And I'm just very grateful for that experience and for the time I spent in field sales because that really is the best business education you could ask for. It's, there's nothing like doing to learn how to do something. It was at Cisco that I realized I wasn't happy in this type of business role. I really wanted to be in the pharmaceutical industry and help build something from the ground up. My personality, I don't think does very well in large multinational corporations. And I know that I got to learn that about myself in the process. So, but loved Cisco and I could not imagine starting my career anywhere else. I think it is one of the few organizations that practices what it preaches when it Mm. comes to diversity and equity and inclusion. Two of my best friends from Cisco, one left recently a couple of years back and is now a senior director at Amazon Web Services. Another one is a senior director at Cisco and they're both killing it. And they are also women of color who advance because they're really, really good at what they do. 
Mm-hmm. They're one of the best at what they do. And so I think seeing that and being a part of an organization that I knew that they're doing things right. And certainly progress is slow, but I was very proud to be a part of it. But I was really happy to be able to work with my dad after I left Cisco and joined Sidos. And his business partner, Joe Bohan, is to this day, like one of my dearest, dearest mentors, sponsors, friends. I adore him. He taught me everything about the business side of the pharma business. And I spent that first year just drinking from the fire hose like I did my first year at Cisco and learning everything about what we did, learning more about the hands-on part of drug development and then doing what I could do to just be helpful. But because I was traveling all the time and I just needed a creative outlet, the chemistry history degree combination was not an accident. I kind of needed to keep both sides of my brain going. And so too much analytical would drive me nuts. I started the blog as a creative outlet, literally every blog's origin story. And now that blog had an amazing chapter and run of my life and has morphed into other things as my career has morphed. But that's how that got started. And I know you have a lot of different side projects now, but I think what's so important is your side project, right? Fueling that creativity on the side. I mean, the podcast, this is a total passion project. And to your point, CEO during the day, looking at numbers, total operationally heavy, but this just makes my life more fun. And I want to highlight your journey because I think it's so important, something really anybody can do on the side. But I'd love to hear, you know, did you ever think that that blog would turn into something? Like what impact did it make at that point in your life? If you have to look back? I mean, that blog has a lot to do why I'm here today. It taught me how to build and run a business at the same time I was seeing and helping to build and run a business. I took a lot of what I learned from that side into the blog, but it taught me how to write really effectively and communicate mm-hmm. effectively. It gave me an eye for aesthetics and how to frame a shot or what visually looks good to accompany the story you're telling. It taught me about the tenacity on social media. You got to promote, 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 link, link, link. And don't assume that that one tweet you send out is going to be sufficient to draw eyeballs to this piece of content that you worked really hard. I learned how to work with brand partners and build that part of the business. And the pharma side and on the blog side, it might have been different products or things we were talking about, but the mechanics of a deal are still very much the same. And I think blogging taught me how to also be a really effective deal maker Mm. in that sense, in negotiating and on budget and on deliverables and being held accountable to a contract. So it was... I think we look at these things in silos, but really it is pieces in a really beautiful puzzle that is my life. And I'm very grateful for that. Gosh, I love that. And I just, I hope women listening today are just inspired of starting that passion project, you know, might not be bringing money for you, but if it's something that fuels you, you never know what skills you'll learn or where it'll take you. You can't put a price tag on your happiness and your fulfillment. Like you can't, if something lights you up and you can't stop thinking about it, what's the harm in taking just one little step, whether it's registering a domain name or setting up a Squarespace site or just sitting down with a pad of paper and a pen and free writing. Do it because it lights you up and it makes you happy, not because of what some end game is. I had no end game with Hitha on the go, but Hitha on the go had a lot to do with where I am right now in my life. And I don't know where I'm going to go next. Mm. And there's something really exciting about knowing the time and energy I spent on this project I did purely for myself has given me so much to date and will give so much more down the line. 
Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds, freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. Listening, and now let's get back to the show. So I also want to talk about in 2014, you left the pharmaceutical industry and I think you made a change, right? Right when you were pregnant with your first child. So believe it or not, you know, I actually hear this theme quite a lot from the women I've had, and I never knew that was really a motivator to reflect and shift your life. So I'd love to hear about your perspective. You know, what was that moment of your life like when you were pregnant and wanting to really shake things up? When I got pregnant, it was kind of at a chapter for Cytos where the portfolio had largely been out licensed. My dad didn't have it in him to focus on any new development projects. And I was, listen, pharma is a really long development cycle. 
I was like, this is going to be years before some of the products I helped license are even going to be launched. And the partner is handling that work. Certainly Joe was like, I'll keep you on forever and whatnot. I was like, but Joe, like you don't need me. And I love you, but I would like to figure something else out and try something else new. So at that time, my best friend, Samira, who was at Cisco at the time as well, said, I have an idea for something. And I want to know what you think. And she told me and that was Bridge to Act. And I was like, oh my God, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I just was like, yes, we have to figure this out. Yes, like, let's do it. So the two of us and our friend Anil, who is focused more on like some financial modeling and invested some capital into it, built Bridge to Act. And honestly, I do believe we were ahead of our time and our product market fit. We probably overcomplicated things a little bit, but I'm glad I learned those lessons because one, I got to learn about an insane amount of nonprofit organizations doing incredible work. Mm -hmm. I got to help figure out how do we let people take action the moment they feel inspired and understand a lot about user behavior online and how do you build according to user behavior? And then lastly, you know, I think there's also such a thing of like, when you've pivoted in a million different directions and you're still not seeing traction, at what point do you say, okay, we tried, it didn't end up the way we wanted it. We hoped it would be, that's okay. Let's wind down. And I think to be able to stay best friends with your best friend Mm -hmm. after having to wind down a company is one, a testament to just awesome friends, but two, those type of personal skills and managerial skills, I wouldn't have learned that anywhere else. And I'm very grateful for that. And Sammy, I admit, because she had been managing people for a number of years by that point, it's a much skilled manager than I was. So I learned a lot from her that has served me well now as CEO of Ocean Pharmaceuticals. No, that's helpful. I mean, you've been very open about the quote unquote, I I wouldn't call it a failure, but just the winding down of this business. How long were you operating that business until you both realized, you know, this might not be what we both continue doing? Three years. Three years. So that's a lot of operational experience, right? I mean, sometimes Mm -hmm. you might not know where a specific business may take you. It might not be getting traction as you want, but like you mentioned, there's so many learnings you can still get out of it. So the experience and like your dad actually said, you mentioned earlier in the interview, there's no better way to learn business than getting your hands dirty and just going for it. So I just, I love that aspect of your story. And it really definitely resonated with me. So I believe around that same period, I think you also got into the world of investing. Yes. And I know we actually had Sarah LaFleur on our podcast. She's a gem. I also love what she's built, but share more about how that conversation (laughs) happened and how you kind of fell into this world, because that's another pillar in your life that came from Mm -hmm. your curiosity and tenacity. And now you're an angel, a pretty active angel investor with women businesses. Yeah. I mean, it happened by accident, kind of like everything else or like when opportunity presented itself. So Sarah, when she launched MM LaFleur, one of the first pieces of press they got was in a pure wow email. And as someone who was in business meetings all the time and couldn't find anything I loved to wear, I was like sort of settling for pieces from a lot of big retailers. I was like, you're speaking my language. This is exactly what I want to put on my body. So I sent like just a cold email to hello at mmlafleur.com and like, or bonjour at the time, I think. (laughs) And then just put in a couple lines about myself, link to my LinkedIn, link to my blog. Sarah was the person who responded and we built a friendship from there. And honestly, 
we were having catch up coffee a few years later and we were talking about negotiation. And she was like, how do you approach a negotiation? And I was like, well, and I started going to my framework and I said, wait a second, why are we talking about this? She goes, oh, we're raising, we're raising our first round. And I was like, oh, I'll invest. And she's like, can you invest? I go, what do you mean? I'm like, I have the money. I can write a $25,000 check. She goes, no, like, are you an accredited investor? And I was like, oh, let me get back to you. (laughs) That's when I went home and I talked to my husband and we did some Googling. We called our money manager, who is my parents' money manager. And we got kind of grandfathered in. And I'm very grateful for that because listen, let's talk about money. Wealth generation comes with having someone who knows how to invest your money on your behalf. And I'm again, exceedingly lucky to have had that offered to me through my parents' excellent planning. Mm -hmm. And he was the one who said, yeah, you meet the requirements and this is an interesting path you guys are going down. I think it's great. So that was our first investment. Our second one came through friends as well. And then that ball started rolling. And I wouldn't say it wasn't until like our third or fourth investment that I even felt comfortable calling myself an investor and starting to talk about it more openly. But that has been incredibly fulfilling because I do like to get my hands dirty with my companies and help out however I can. I'm not here to tell them how to run. I invest in people that I trust to run their companies well and to build a healthy company culture and to treat their employees well. But if I can be of service by making introductions or brainstorming on digital marketing strategy or influencer strategy or help them with vendor negotiations, I'm happy to. And they all have my cell number and they all know they can text or call me at any time. So that has been a really incredible career that I never saw for ourselves. But there's also, you can't invest in every single company. There have been some amazing ones lately that have pitched me. And I said, you know what? I believe in you. But until we have some liquidity events from our existing portfolio, I don't have the capital or the bandwidth to invest right now. I just need to look inward and focus on my current portfolio. So it never feels good to say no to someone, but my investing career is a little bit on pause right now or plateaued until we see some of our company portfolio companies scale to a level that we have a buyout option or they're going public or they're being acquired. Absolutely. I know the world of investing is also like pharmaceuticals, a long-term game. So the way, you know, yeah, very long-term, but it seems like you've aligned and put yourself alongside really incredible entrepreneurs. And we have a lot of people listening to this podcast who are looking to raise money, who are budding female entrepreneurs. You know, when you meet that founder or that company that gets you excited, what do you typically look for to put your check in their business? What are some of the things that stand out as a good entrepreneur? Yeah, I think... Obviously, traction to date matters. We just personally haven't invested on an idea alone in a very long time. We do need to see some traction and growth. And it doesn't matter if it's users, if it's sales or revenue. There is like this sort of emotional gut sense that when you talk to a founder of, or how well do you take care of yourself? Mm. How well do you overcome rejection? Can you pivot if need be? Do the unit economics make sense? And how coachable are you? Because nothing as an entrepreneur ends up the way you planned it for it to. It is constantly retooling on the fly, like building the airplane while you're flying it. And so that requires, I think, both mindset as well as a certain attitude, like just be willing to be excited by what you know you don't know. Mm. 
like excited of look at all the cool things I get to learn. Look at what I get to figure out versus no, I haven't settled. I know exactly what I'm doing. I, I don't like those founders. And then most of our investments that I brought in have been, is this like solving a personal pain I have? Like I do invest in areas and in companies where I am the market and I feel very aligned to what they're doing. So yeah, you definitely resonate with what they're building. I think that emotional connection is huge and it gets you excited that you love their product, you love their team and founder and to put your money behind that must be really fulfilling. One thing you've also mentioned now being in the startup world from your own journey and investing in different businesses is you've noticed or you've seen that, you know, women aren't allowed to necessarily fail, or at least the way the press kind of highlights that. And I'd love for you to talk more about that and give your thoughts, because I definitely agree with you as well. It makes me so mad, like so mad that not only are we not allowed to fail, the business press loves building up a woman CEO or any underrepresented CEO or founder just to tear them down. Mm. And it's happened too many times where companies founded by white men just sort of get brushed off or a pass or sensationalized to a point that there's still sort of a cult status around them and cult idolation that women don't have. Women are expected to disappear into the ether. And it's deeply disappointing. It's deeply regressive as a society. And I also think it's intentional for a couple of reasons. Like our economy is based off of one man working and having a stay-at-home spouse who handles everything at home. We don't have an economy based on working parents or working caregivers. We don't have an economy that prioritizes flexibility Mm. in how we work. And for too long, we also, costs of childcare and costs of living have not grown at the rate of wage growth. Wage growth is stagnated in comparison to those two costs. And you have to wonder at some point, we have the means to change. Why haven't we changed? And there is this, I mean, this is where (laughs) I get a little controversial because I don't think people are doing it with ill intent, but I think there is this fear of what happens when you try something new and there's such comfort of the status quo by the people who are in power that it frustrates me. I also know that real change is slow, Mm -hmm. takes time. It's about a lot of tiny Legos coming together to build a big structure. It's not just one giant Lego thinking about my kids' toys right now and like the mess of Legos (laughs) in the playroom. (sighs) Um, But that's kind of how I feel. So when it comes to, are women allowed to fail? Yes, but they don't get a second chance at redemption. There is no comeback story for women founders or women who have behaved inappropriately and, you know, are canceled. Like when a woman is canceled, she's canceled. There is no redemption. I know. And it's interesting. I was actually talking to my husband about that because I've noticed and I'm like, why am I always reading articles about women who have failed? And then they, like you said, they just disappear. There's no conversation around it. So I, when I heard you say that, I I loved getting your thoughts and also talking about, and again, this could probably be a completely separate podcast, but seeing my friends who are now having kids, some are the breadwinners, some are not, but they're going back to work and just seeing the lack of flexibility in certain jobs of managing both your work and your kids. And as much as if you have an involved parent, like I've seen, and listen, I might be wrong. I don't have kids, but there's still a lot on the mom, especially when the kids are really young. And 
I'm not surprised that so many of the women on my podcast have started businesses because they needed that flexibility and they're killing it. You know, they're running hundred million dollar businesses. So it's just interesting to see. And I hope things will change in terms of how to support working women who have children and changing the culture behind these companies hopefully eventually. Well, and I think it even to take that a step further, it's how do we just, we're a part of the sandwich generation where we have aging parents and aging elders to take care of and young kids. It cannot be incumbent on the woman or the mother to handle that load all on her own. We need dads to step up. We need dads to feel comfortable that they can take advantage of flexible policies at work, that they could take a full paternity leave, that they can do this. And I was thinking about a trip my husband and I took to Sweden. We were at dinner and there was a a couple and their teenage son sitting with us. And the dad mentioned something about everyone takes their full paternity leave here. He goes, here's the thing, though all the dads take paternity leave during football season, like during their soccer season, which is so funny because like in certain ways, like things are so the same here as they are there, but they've built different cultures and rituals around it. And there's this incredibly engaged dad culture Mm -hmm. of dads meeting on the playgrounds because they have the flexibility or at like a beer garden where it's like toys and a playground and communing together and making friends because their kids have similar ages and they have similar interests. So I would like to see this conversation not expand from women because it can't be about the mom or the woman anymore. It's about how do we rebuild our economy to reflect the workforce of today, not the workforce of the 1950s and 60s. Exactly. And, you know, even I was speaking to a friend who's in Sweden and she was talking about how it's been great to have their kids and, you know, it's very different in that part of the world with a paternity leave. And I said, you know, I do see some men have it, but they don't take the full amount. She's like, it's highly encouraged here. Like if they don't take the full amount, like you said, it's part of their culture. So hopefully, you know, in time we can transition into that phase, but yeah, we should save a whole nother podcast episode all about that. It's definitely <laughs> something I think about a lot and I don't even have kids yet. But one thing I'd love to also get your thoughts on, you know, as someone who has their hands in so many different things, you're an operator by day, being a CEO of this pharmaceutical company, investor, entrepreneur, blogger. I mean, there's so much there. How are you setting up your life in terms of time management, team, schedule? (laughs) What does that look like to you? And what recommendations do you have for women listening who do want to have their hands involved with a lot of stuff? I may wear a lot of hats. I don't wear them at the same time. Mm. And so I think it's important that a couple of those things you mentioned, blogger, investor, I'm not spending any time blogging anymore. Yes, that's pivoted to social media, but that's also not as labor intensive or time intensive as producing a blog piece would have been. And so that's shifted. Investors, similarly, I'm not taking pitches anymore, which that would take up five to 10 hours a week. I save a couple hours a week to help my portfolio companies make introductions or help just listen to them. Often that's sometimes all they need is to someone to listen. But my priority is Roshan Pharma and now right now the book launch, which has been a lot at the same time. And I have two young kids who it's still pandemic life. We still have to take a lot of precautions and how we gather and what we do and a lot of COVID testing. (laughs) And then taking care of my family. And that's also involves my parents and my in-laws and, you know, family members that are outside of the country, but or outside of our state, but, you know, I still like to stay engaged and that's a priority for me. And then friends, obviously, if I can grab dinner with a group of girlfriends once a week, then that is a great week. So I would say 
don't confuse all the hyphens at once as things I'm doing all at the same time. I have really two big jobs at this moment. And even within that, I have incredible teams. So I have a phenomenal team at Roshan Pharma, everyone who's been doing their job for longer than I've been alive, my dad and all his (laughs) friends, and many who have seen me grow up with content and the book. My publisher's team is fantastic. I have a phenomenal PR team that helped me with my first book launch. I have a couple of assistants and a manager who help me with content and keeping things organized and handling certain requests of like bio photo. Someone can answer that right away and systemizing things as much as we possibly can. And so there's plenty of nights where I'm with the kids right until school drop off, work, pick up road, ferret him to his activities, do dinner, bath, homework with the kids. And then I'm back on my computer and I work for a few more hours. There are some nights where I get everything done in a compressed amount of time and I can enjoy a show with my husband or to read a book in a bath that evening. Every day looks differently. I think trying to aspire for balance Mm -hmm. is too much, but I want to have a better system when it comes to priorities and how I'm working aligned with those priorities. Right now it's it's pure chaos. And so things like making my bed or out the window, or we are all eating like frozen food right now, like from daily harvest with my husband and I to little spoon plates with the kids. And that's okay. Or my nanny makes us something for dinner and that's incredible and wonderful. I need to do like five loads of laundry. They're just piled up in my bedroom. It is what it is. So I also think that you need to give yourself, especially when you're in the thick of a lot of things, Don't be afraid to drop balls that society or someone has told you to uphold. Like I think doing the dishes every single night and running the dishwasher is most important (laughs) to me because I don't want bugs in my house. But other than that, and like taking out the trash frequently, but other than that, everything else can kind of fall by the wayside. There's so much that you mentioned that I want to unpack. I mean, the first thing you mentioned in terms of, you know, certain things have different seasons. And what I love is that you have no judgment on yourself. If you're going to end or pause things, you just accept it. You're optimistic about it. You know, it's just a different phase of your life to set it aside or put it on pause. And also, like you said right now, and we'll get into your book next, which I'm excited to talk about, but it's a busy period in your life. And there's some things that are going to give. And I think, you know, I'm laughing because I'm somewhat OCD-ish. And my husband said, ever since you started a business, because now I just let things go. There's only so much that I could take. It's like you leave the dishes for an extra few hours or something is left. I mean, it's very not my MO, but it's just a survival thing. There's only so much you can focus on. I just love the way you go about in your life in terms of, you know, just have no judgment and survive. And it's okay. It's a different, it's a season in your life right now. So I think that's really, really beautifully said. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your book. It's called We're Speaking, The Life Lessons of Kamala Harris, How to Use Your Voice, Be Assertive, and Own Your Story, which is out, I believe, on the 19th. So very, very soon. I'm so excited. So on actually on Instagram, you mentioned in one of your most recent posts that you're pumped and nervous and slightly nauseated. You know, I know there's probably so much that you're doing right now, but I'd love to hear more about how you're feeling with the book and the inspiration really behind it as well. I feel like writing a book and having a child are very similar experiences. Like the first time you do it, you know nothing. And the second time you're like, oh, I got this, but oh, this is a very different kid. And this is like, I got to still, I have a lot to learn. So there is that. 
I am the luckiest author alive because with both books, How to Pack and We're Speaking, I was approached by the publisher to write a very specific book, both times also on a very tight timeline. So that was fun. With um, How to Pack, I got approached because of Hitha on the Go. With We're Speaking, my publisher approached me both because of the success from Hitha on the Go, but my Instagram and social media presence, as well as the way I was talking about my support of Kamala Harris and of the Biden-Harris ticket and speaking more to the South Asian representation that she exhibits, not just the Black experience as well. She is a woman of many multitudes, which is one of the things I love and respect about her. This book, (laughs) I had to write it in uh, two and a half months. Oh my gosh, that's short, very short. That's not normal. But again, it was was a timely book in a really important time. And this is a book that is not about her policy. It's not defending her policies. This is a book that really examines her career and her life and tries to connect things, how she's done things to tactical tips that can help us excel on our terms at work, at home, mm-hmm. with our loved ones, and with most importantly, with ourselves. So mm-hmm. I am so honored to be the author of this book. I've been a longtime fan of Kamala Harris. She was my mentor from afar from when I began my career in pharmaceuticals because I had a role model and someone that modeled what it looked like to be a younger woman of color in predominantly old white spaces. And so everything from how she talked, whether it was lines in a speech or hand gestures or glances to how she prepared a questioning in a hearing or how she wrote a stump speech, what she wore, how she did her hair. Everything was unique to her. And for many years, I was like, well, how do I take this and adapt it for myself? Mm. And so in many ways, I feel like I've been writing this book for years, but the actual book was written in a very short period of time. But it's a book I have actually needed to go back and reference quite a bit through some challenging times this year. Again, running a pharmaceutical company is a very big job. I work with my father and his friends. And during a pandemic where we have a lot of supply chain issues, we have been significantly impacted by everything because the DPA has authorized only like COVID specific things. So what were already long lead times or even longer lead times, we had to move some dates around renegotiating contracts. It's been a lot and it's been a hard climate to fundraise or do business development in a time where unless it's COVID specific, it's not regarded as important. So, but again, the chapter eat no for breakfast and take care of yourself is probably the one I've referred to the most on how to stay strong and push through and overcome rejection, but also a really strong reminder of how to take care of yourself and show up for yourself. And that was my next question in terms of, you know, what were maybe one or two of the most inspiring things that you think? I mean, I'm sure there's so much in the book, like you mentioned, you go and refer to it at different parts of your life. But anything that was surprising to you as you did more research into Kamala or any lessons that really resonate with you that you haven't mentioned? Well, I think from the professional side, definitely eat no for breakfast is a big one. The other chapter, not chapter eight, lean on your family. That's the one that's probably most pertinent to my life right now. We had a family medical emergency that has me shifting into some significant caregiving duties at the moment. 
when Kamala Harris's mother was diagnosed with cancer, she was at the time district attorney of San Francisco, running for attorney general of California, and still carved out time to be with her mother at every possible point, which shows the importance of growing and building a team and bringing in team members who can help shoulder the load, which is something I'm so grateful to have, but to also, this is what matters. Mm. Like this is what matters the most. And it also just shows me that how we expect people to work is no longer aligned with anyone's reality. I don't care who you are. This is not how any of us were meant to work. So I don't know at what point I will tackle this topic, but it's something I feel very strongly about on how do we build like a workforce for our workforce that works for us. So that is another big thing. I think when you think about your family, it's not just the family you've been born into. If you don't have a great relationship with your biological family or adoptive family, it could be the family you choose for yourself. And I think reading that chapter, it shows that is as important as your career Mm. and they feed each other. They're not silos. So ultimately, I hope anyone who reads this book or listens to this podcast starts to blur the lines in their own life a little bit more because amazing things happen when you see what you've learned at home as a parent or as a caregiver or a daughter or a son, because listen. Men should be listening to this podcast too. Let's normalize women in power and what you do at work. And I think motherhood for me has made me so creative and has made me so much better with my time and so much more organized in some ways and finally got me to relax on a lot of other things. I would not be, again, where I am today without my parents, but also without my children because I feel like parts of my brain just unlocked after I had my boys. Wow. Oh my goodness. There's so much I want to talk about. Well, I'm super excited about this book. Congratulations. It seems like at different seasons and phases of your life, there's something to refer back to. And if anything, especially being an entrepreneur, even in the climate that we're in now, we're all seeking some type of inspiration in some way. So I'm super pumped for this. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And a question I want to end with, you know, you've talked about how motherhood really unlocks certain parts of your brain, right? And I've heard that Mm -hmm. quite a bit. So how do you think motherhood has really changed you, whether it's as a woman, a leader, an entrepreneur, like what are those aspects of your brain that you mentioned were unlocked? I mean, I really think like motherhood, I have always been the woman I have been. And I also want to say this, there is a Hitha in another universe that never had children who is living a phenomenal life. Yeah, (laughs) It's not for everyone. And I want to take a minute right now to just honor women's either choices or circumstances as it pertains to this question, because it is deeply invasive and what works for me doesn't work for someone else. And I just want to celebrate all of us on our individual life journeys. But I do think that there are, for me, it has made me the meest me. Mm. Like I really got to learn so much more about myself that I did not know prior to having kids. And I really like that person. And again, I know in another universe, the Hitha that doesn't have children learned something about herself that only she could have learned that has made her feel more her. And I'm happy for her and I'm excited for her. And I hope she's sleeping a lot more than I am. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, even, you know, whether it's not even your kids, even like you mentioned, the whole book process is like, as if you're giving birth, I'm sure there's so much that you learned about yourself from the first book and second book. So I think just any life shift challenge project, there's so many learnings that can come from there. But Hitha, I am so glad you were joining us today. And I can't wait for our listeners to learn more about your book. We'll share everything in the show notes, but thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.